Welcome to the podcast, let me start by saying that one of them is trans and the other one's gay, but they both like to talk, yeah, they contemplate. Um, none of that matters, this is role play. <laughs> there we go, that just started. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Hello, um, this is Sophie, I've returned from the mumps. <laughs> you may yeah. not have heard from me for a couple of um, weeks, because I've been dying. Yeah. I'm still partly mumped up. My head is still a little swollen. The best. <laughs> but it's nice to be back. <laughs> so yeah, we were supposed to be kicking these out like every week. But um, literally since I released the last one, this one's gone to fucking Dublin, given the mumps to a million people, <laughs> to a whole country. And uh, yeah, just been dying. And then like... I was going to do some on my own or get, like, someone else to come in, but then I thought... Not many gay people out there, is there? Not really. Not out. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure there are some that are just like, oh, I wish. (laughs) Yeah, I always always find it great when I'm on, like, um, social media and... Mm. Not social... On dating sites. And then I... (laughs) A bit different. I I see girls who are not out on there and I'm like oh oh my days I'm not gonna out you but I know now so if you look at me in the BJJ change rooms I know it's not in a <laughs> admirational way <laughs> so what what, you, what would people admire if they saw you in the change rooms um my is it your confidence <laughs> It's it's my dance moves while naked. <laughs> Jokes, I never get naked, I hide. Um, I'm like the whole like sit down, sliver off my knickers while like quickly putting other ones on. Um, it's a good move. Turning my tits to the wall. Love it, love it. That's a great move. Mm. I find it. I find. I find it quite inspiring when I see women that can just get butt naked, changed in the change rooms, and not care whatsoever. I'm like. How? It astonishes me. Um, Like, I have no confidence when it comes to my body. I hate myself, like, very much. But, like, (laughs) actually seeing these people going about their lives, being like, I can just whip this off and then put something on with ease. Because... See, I could do that in front (laughs) of, like, my missus or partner, um, if I had one. (laughs) No, I could, but... Because I just run around naked most of the time. Um, but <laughs> I just couldn't in front of strangers. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't in front of strangers. No, strangers is weird. Like I went to um, like if you choose to date me, you choose to be scarred for life from the visuals <laughs> that you see. She's on the market, so uh, get in touch. You know, you know um, that one of my mates is like the biggest hippie, and I met her at uni, and um. Pretty much her and her other mate like ran into my birthday, the, um, ran into my ran into my dorm, um, on my birthday, cut their legs up and was just like clapping happy birthday with the. <laughs> that was a sight. So I should be used to like nudists. Um, they are nude all the time. But... It's like, I, like I, they said to me, oh, can we come up to Birmingham for a night out? I was like, yeah, of course. 
Are you um, going to wear clothes? Were, no, but my parents were away. And um, they were just like, oh my God, you're baffed. You're this big jacuzzi. And they just jumped straight in it, put the bubbles on. They're going, come on, Soph, get in it with us. And I'm like, no, I'm not getting in butt naked with you two. With like bubble, like into a bubble bath. It's not okay. They were like, take some photos for Instagram. <laughs> And then fucking just walking around my house, butt naked. I was thinking, oh my god, if my family were here, <laughs> like Sal, Sal would literally be like chasing them around with the dental wipes. <laughs> like, what? Put a towel down before you sit on the sofa, girls. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I do? It's on the vodka. Hello, welcome to roleplay. Yeah, welcome to the second episode. That's fun. Um... <laughs> Yeah, back to um, getting changed in the change rooms. Fucking hell. But yeah, I died of the mumps and I'm back, so... Yeah, yeah, it's nice of you to return. Like, I'm very happy that you're back. (laughs) I didn't know I was going to get such amazing stories, like, straight off the bat. Like, that's pretty cool. (laughs) Many a story. Many a story. Um, Right, so... I usually write down a whole load of stuff that I want to talk about. But this time I didn't really... (laughs) <laughs> I haven't really done that, so um, very un- unprofessional. Know, unprofessional, very much. Like there are a couple of things I wanted to talk about. Um, one of them was something that happened on the underground a few weeks ago. I can't remember when, but someone was talking about. I think someone posted a video of uh, Brendan Schaub, uh basically saying that uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu isn't as effective as it used to be in MMA. Um, which I kind of understood is because he, does he mean it? Because obviously I haven't seen this post. Does he mm. mean it in the sense where whenever because everyone is reaching that same level because everyone is showing because the importance everyone has it, of it, they all know how that to counter it. You're not yeah. seeing it in a spectacular style like it, we used to. I think it's not. It wasn't even in that sense. It's more a case of so when. Um, my mind's going to go fucking blank now. This is embarrassing. I'll fill in the gap. <laughs> the original fucking UFC. Oh, but so like Ren- Remco and these amazing Brazilian black belts used to... No. Fight. What's, what's the name of the first fucking... Pride. No, the first uh, Gracie to win the UFC. Why have I forgotten his name? Royce. Royce, yes. Fucking hell. I'm, a re- <laughs> I'm just going to edit that out. Fuck it. Like No. <laughs> I'm going to be really Wait, smart. I'm going to say, I'm normally the one shipping <laughs> names. You're the one that knows all the names. I have just corrected you. Allow me to have that. Allow Fucking me to hell. have that. So, um, yeah, like, back when Hoist took on the UFC, like, the first few, like, Jiu-Jitsu was this obscure grappling art that not many people had any experience with but like coming into coming into MMA now like it's one of the foundations and everyone has like a a defense for jiu-jitsu they have like a, a ground game themselves but like they understand it more and they know how to address it more so it's more difficult to implement like straight jiu-jitsu in an MMA environment and like I could kind of understand it because a good example of it was 
what happened at UFC Tampa, where you had um, Mackenzie Dern fighting Amanda Hubas, and you had Cron Gracie against Cub Swanson. Um, both fights went kind of the same way. Uh, both of the Brazilian black belts uh, had decision against them, essentially, because the fight was forced to the, like, forced to stand up, essentially. Cub Swanson did a really good job of moving around the ring and tagging Cron. Mm-hmm. Cron, like, much to his... I think Cron wanted to prove that he was more than just a... Why are you looking at me like that? I try not to burp. Ah. <laughs> that, was a, that was a... Oh, brilliant. Sorry. I think he was trying to prove that he was more than just a like Brazilian jiu-jitsu guy. Like, he was trying to stand and bang. Which, fair enough, that's fine. Like, if that's your, your game plan. Like, um, But, like, fair play to him. He also, like, jumped guard in that fight as well. And, like, he really latched on. Like, that's when it got really interesting. But, like, Cub is also Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. There was all that fucking uh, furore before the fight where, like, gyms were turning him away because he was fighting Kron. It's like, um, okay. Um, but, yeah, like... They're essentially just saying that the efficacy of uh, jiu-jitsu has like, kind of dropped because it's more known. It's, yeah. it's not this like mysterious sport anymore. But this this is always the development of martial arts, and I, you know I've watched. Oh, by the way, it also like completely got pissed up a wall like literally two weeks later because you had like Damian Meyer fight. Um, Ben Askren and oh, yeah. <laughs> fucked him up with but, like pure jiu-jitsu. I've always said like this is the thing with MMA. I've watched mixed martial arts since I was a kid. Like mm. I remember going to grapple and strike when I was like a couple of years old and watching the likes of Mark Goddard, Rosie Sexton, and all them like like just be on a literally like a poxy little mat <laughs> and just beat the shit out of each other. Like before MMA was even legal in the UK. Like that's. And this is the thing, like, MMA is a mixture, like, it is what it says, it's mixed martial arts, you have to have a mixture. Now, if you put a boxer, again, like, with no, no, like, ability of grappling, whatever, if you put a boxer in a ring against, um, let's say, a Brazilian jiu-jitsu fighter who has no striking, and you said, okay, fight... It all comes down to actually who has the best rap, like sprawl. Either you're gonna have a, who's got the best sprawl game or who's got the best te- takedown game. Who's yeah. stacking the takedown? Who's getting the takedown? That's the decision of the fight. That that's what the fight will come to. But either way, it only takes one slip, the BJJ fighter is gonna win, mm. or takes one hit, the boxer can win. And it's the issue now of like that's when it was so much more effective because you get an incredible like mm. say Conor McGregor for instance yeah great striker with his timing mm. great sprawl game same with Joanna John Jacek yeah yeah but both of them like succeeded became championship level based upon their striking ability <clears throat> and then look where they are now technically not doing that great because of they didn't evolve 
Yeah, the the grappling and the like wrestling wasn't as good. So you like, meet someone who can break down and think it's like Ronda Rousey, mm. really good. But as soon as she met someone who could stop the takedown, like Holly yeah. Holm, and like had a really good striking, it took it away. And this is the, I think we've been um, spoiled over the last, like over the last, I'd say five. I'd probably say five years, not a massive mm. amount. Um, probably seven years. We've seen a massive development in mixed martial arts as a whole in the sense where everyone's training everything now. So oh, it yeah. actually comes down to decision-making rather than level mm. that they're at and who like, picks that makes the right decisions at the right time. So originally the UFC was set up so that you could pit styles against one another and like so you would come out on top that's what was really interesting about it because you had these really strong like boxing karate you had kung fu guys going in you had you had everything and um that's what made it so interesting yeah but now where it is just it's kind of a sport in of itself like i don't know there is a part of me that's like why can't we go back to like Who's a really good fucking Muay Thai champion, and then just put them against like uh, someone the caliber of like uh, Deontay Wilder or fucking um, I don't know. I don't know many sports outside of jiu-jitsu. <laughs> <laughs> really no, like, I, I get what you're saying, um, but is it, it can never go back after it develops. What yeah. will happen though is Tyson Fury is coming. The elements in its own sake. Yeah. Like, will have to adapt. So, what I notice is with the likes of Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, um, it develops, 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 and then it develops so much that people forget the traditional. Mm. Like, so, you, and then it will go back to the traditional, or you'll have someone who knows the traditional side and then the flashy side but catch people out with the traditional. Mm. And it goes in a cycle of, like, techniques, encounters, and then things get forgot and then get brought back. And it's like a cycle. Of, it's a cycle of movements and everything else. And it will always develop mm. and get better. Um, but I do think sometimes the basics get forgotten while, uh, while it's getting developed my question for you then do you think that MMA fighters should specialise in something and then have like a general game of everything else or do you think they should be a jack of all trades um, I think you've all I think you're always going to specialise in something because there's always going to be something you enjoy mm. doing more um, as an MMA like coach and someone that has coached a lot of male fighters in the cage like to get there I have always said to them you can only go so far by learning MMA Mm. you have to and this is my view on it you have to do (laughs) boxing sessions or Muay Thai whatever the striking you decide to do you've got to do that so, like, you've got to go do Muay Thai classes. You've got to go do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu classes. You've got to go do wrestling or wrestling classes 
all these different elements, do it all, and then have a MMA class then that brings it all together. Mm. But I think if you're an MMA coach, you bring, you should be capable of bringing everyone everything together to make a fighter so all you're doing is they bring the skill to the table and you're teaching it in a way to make them be able to deliver on the night Mm. you it's impossible like you can't be an mma coach and go i'm going to teach you how to strike i'm going to teach you how to kick i'm going to teach you how to grapple i'm going to teach you cage control i'm going to teach you jiu-jitsu you can't there's only so much well, that do. was that was uh, Rhonda's downfall. Yeah, her coach grossly overestimated his ability to be a coach. Hmm. Like for me, um, if I ever own a massive academy, which I like, and a mixed martial arts academy, and I think any good coach knows this, is your fight. If you coach correctly, your fighter will always become better than you. Yeah. They should. Like, if you're a good coach, your fighter should outgrow you and your knowledge. So, as a coach, then you turn around and go, you're more of a mentor, you're more of a psychologist, you're more of a, um, let's bring it all together, let's Mm. communicate. So, all I'm doing is, I'm telling you, from the outside of the cage, what to do, and you need to listen and do it, Mm. because I've got a third like you know i'm your third eye i can see what's going on you can see the whole um that's where you should end up as an mma coach and then it's your job then to bring in the names bring in the names and go okay i need a striking coach now who's who specializes in just striking i need a brazilian jiu-jitsu coach that specializes in just brazilian jiu-jitsu because if you were training or think like coaching all these elements you're never gonna be superb at it and that's what i find is if you because growing up because i did all these martial arts is i um because i was doing all of them i never become a specialist in one yeah i became all right at everything obviously when you're growing up as a female being all right at everything is going to get you gold medals. But yeah. when I put into perspective of the years and hours I've put into sport where my knowledge is there, but my ability to deliver that isn't because yeah. I'm just, you know, I've had injuries, this, is this. And if I'd solely done Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu growing all up, mm. I'd be about that by now. Probably be... But that's the thing. Doing alright. <laughs> like you have a you have the benefit of experience, which is undervalued. I want to say, so like the experience of going through all of those different martial arts. Like I don't care how silly or stupid a martial art looks, everything has something to teach. Mm-hmm. So if you're picking up like four or five different martial arts as a child you're going to take something different from each of them because each of them will mean something different to you. And also, if you're exposing yourself to, like, um, two or three different grappling arts and stuff, like, if someone does something to you in... um, Well, we were talking about this earlier, like, um, with the whole starting on the feet thing in competition. If someone walks towards you 
and they try to um, like grip you up and start to throw, that's when your mind goes, oh, they don't want none of this. Like, I've got all my judo background. Why are you doing this? Like, you have the benefit of that experience, whereas, like, they don't. Um, but, like, lost my point. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really good at talking fucking bullshit. But no, I really enjoyed, like, the conversation we were having before where you were um, talking about, like, you have this whole body of experience that nobody else really sees and, like, nobody else really knows unless you have, like, conversations like this that people actually listen into and they understand, like, your past and stuff. Um, like, that's one of the things that's quite enjoyable about going to, like, jiu-jitsu competitions and stuff. You don't really know how long they've been training what they trained before or anything like that. You just know you're going to have a jiu-jitsu fight. Like, yeah. There are certain things that you can tell, but then you just have to experience the fight in the moment, mm-hmm. which is fun. Yeah. It's, it's like, what, like, obviously, what we were talking about earlier with um, people having backgrounds and not knowing it. Mm. Um, I always say, like, it matters to a certain degree because, like I've said, if, like, me knowing my judo um mm. is when people stand up with me happy days if they knew it about me then they wouldn't mm. stand up but at the same time I, I invite people to do it because i'm like come on because if you do take me down like that was great like yeah. you know, well done <laughs> like, um, <laughs> or you know if you, you put up a fight like i think it's cool like i think i like people that are just like oh, fuck it we'll fight like and yeah. not have that background um it's when it could, yeah, and, but I've always said like if I am fighting, if I know I'm gonna fight a judoka that's better than me, um, I'm just gonna follow follow the rules of what you what's banned in judo, yeah. i.e., so blocking the hips banned, like yeah. holding on to certain parts of the gi and the belt, for, like so like is banned, like all these things, um, because they're banned for a reason. They're banned for a reason because it stalls judo, judo fights. fights. Yeah. Like putting your arms straight. Like you can't have straight arms. Like putting, you know, twisting um, your knuckles over to give that straight arm to stop them from engaging. You do that to a judoka. <laughs> all these things are going to become very difficult. But you also know that if you know your traditional... Japanese jiu-jitsu slash self-defense if you're starting to turn your knuckles over with a straight arm you're probably going to end up with a wacky tummy coming on which is like your straight arm hold straight to the floor yeah you're speaking foreign um, but <laughs> a wacky but, tummy like but these are like your old school self-defense stuff so that's what I'm yeah. saying like that, that's where your traditional starts coming back into the game like um, mm. but Sometimes if you you know if you're not training that like for me I I'm solely BJJ at the moment where I'm just getting that part of my game up that I I forget that there are options like I forget mm. some of the stuff because I'm not doing it regularly it's not in the front of my brain mm. and then sometimes it's like oh it's there and then I'm doing stuff and people are like well how have you just done that <laughs> like, like and I'm like oh it's just this. Don't worry, I'm a, I'm a beast, and it's yeah. what I do. That's it's like I, like I remember I was like um, rolling with Braulio, um, and we were having—I can't remember what it was—but 
I did something that I remembered from like when I was really young doing Japanese jits and he was like what what was that that was really good and I was like oh it was you know it's this and I showed him it and he was like oh that's that's amazing and that's like Braulio who's like knows everything about everything in Brazilian jiu-jitsu he's all right I guess (laughs) (laughs) and it's like um but you know like it's interesting bringing different martial arts together and I think that's the point with MMA is um it'll just keep going around Mm. in a circle oh look at you fancy (laughs) what is that it's tinder jokes (laughs) oh we've got an arrival it's not your first arrival today (laughs) thank you for your payment I've posted oh that's so cute sorry just keeping you all up to date (laughs) on my ebay and if you ever see me in fashionable clothes it's because of ebay not because of my financial situation (laughs) See, I think people are less bothered about your fashion choices and more bothered about, like, the, I don't know, six, seven crates of dildos you've got lying around. Don't tell people <laughs> about that. Don't use them anymore. <laughs> um, another thing that... Uh, it's actually been a really hot topic recently about... Um, on. I'm going to say the underground again. Like, it's the filthiest place. <laughs> like, I don't know people who, like, go there and don't feel dirty afterwards. Like, that's literally how I feel every time I go on there, but I can't stop. Um, so one of the um, conversations that came up recently is um, uh, uniform at gyms. And mm. obviously you come from uh, GB Birmingham. Yeah. So... I'm interested for your take on this. Like mm-hmm. they're they're implementing a new uniform policy, and like people have to buy new geese, they have to buy new like shorts, rash guards, everything. Um, so I want to know what your opinion is on this. Where do you sit on this oh. debate? <laughs> now, this is a really hard one for me because I've grown up and uh, traditional martial arts mm. traditional jiu-jitsu like you know your Japanese jiu-jitsu and your judo mm. in both of them sports I was always told fresh clean white gi iron your belt has to be done up correctly and you'll always see me even in BJJ I can't stand having my belt done up messy it's got because it's it's traditional and shown as respectful towards the Japanese yeah. side of warrior, like samurai. Um, now, I think it looks really nice, like to walk onto a mat and everyone be wearing the same. Mm. Everyone have a clean, fresh gi that looks the same. It's team. It's all together. Mm. I like that. I do. Do I think the cost? of that is extortionate yes have i brought it up with gb instructors nationwide and said bjj is an inclusive sport where how can you expect people to spend let's say let's say 
you need minimum two geese, mm. a rash guard, shorts or leggings or whatever. Another rash guard because they say you have to have rash guards and uh, yeah, your you can't just have like it has to be like a GB two sets or of whatever. Everything. Two of everything. Yeah. Essentially. So let's say a full set. We're talking about two hundred and fifty quid, probably more than that. Three hundred. Mm. Six hundred quid then, on. Just to participate. Yeah, six hundred quid to go. Here you go. Then you got your membership fees. Let's say you. Like, it's another like 60 to 100 pound a yeah. month it's a lot of money and for me and i'm you know like i've ne- i've been in shit positions financially i've been in good positions financially mm. um at the moment like i'm in an all right situation i've got a steady full-time job like um all right but it's still a lot of money you're still you know yeah. i know i'm ebay queen but you'll still see me like getting wrong size geese off eBay just so I've got something to another train. yeah yeah and it's it is ridiculous like I and I want I think it should go back to the whole thing of you sell the patches mm. and here's you know what the what happened to the days where you like. I've grown up with martial arts. I've grown up with martial arts. Geese used to be 30 quid. Mm. The geese that I now pay 120 are exactly the same as the geese that I used to pay 30 quid for. It's ridiculous, the cost of geese. I know that there's branding and all this. I'm I'm sorry. They cost £35 to make. I see see geese from big brands. Shia that they sell for what like 300 odd quid yeah not the new ones though but that like in the past like the the limited edition ones yeah and they are so expensive i couldn't i unless i was given one for free i would not justify being able to wear one Hmm. but like so geese i loved back in the day where you buy a plain white gee for four for 30 40 quid yeah and put your own badges on i yeah. liked being able to sit there as a kid or a teenager and be sewing my badges on mm. like my little like oh i've got my badge i'll put it on <laughs> i like I, I like that but mm. you don't yeah like and obviously me you know i've partook in Brazilian jiu-jitsu and got my purple belt under Browler at GB Birmingham. I've liked the whole... I like the whole uniform thing. I've been fortunate enough mm. to pay... Be able to pay to a certain degree to try in yeah. there and um, afford the equipment. Most of my, most of my rash guards are all off eBay mm. um, or um, have been brought off of a team members who have, like, you know, got yeah. sponsorships or whatever... Or um, promoted, yeah, like or gain some weight. Lost but some I weight. just, I just worry because there are, you know, I know they have the spare geese, mm. a lot of geese on the side. So if you're a beginner or you're a newbie or you can't afford a gee, you can hire them out for two quid a session, and then they get washed. And there's like, I think that's good, but still, I think there need to be a cheaper option. Yeah. It- like Brazilian Jiu Jitsu 
to the best of my knowledge, someone can correct me if I'm wrong. Like when it started, it was an elite sport, like an elitist sport. It was for the rich. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until like it started going to uh, the favelas and like the like the the lower tiers of uh, society that it started to gain like popularity um but like i do feel that people are being priced out of jiu-jitsu and it's it's not right because like i know it's not true simply from like personal experience but like jiu-jitsu does have the moniker of jiu-jitsu is for everyone Uh, unless you know you're gay trans uh poor i don't know fucking (laughs) a wrestler (laughs) like muslim (laughs) muslim yeah i don't know there's like you can go to like dubai or abu dhabi and they've got some fucking decent people going there yeah but for women in hijabs Ah, yeah females then just let's just get them yeah (laughs) It's for everyone apart from women. <laughs> it does it does feel stupid, but at the same time, like I can understand charging a premium for the classes based on who's teaching you. Mm-hmm. Like if I knew that I was going to a gym and I was going to have ready access to Braulio, to Laura and yeah. like all of those fuck yeah, I want to pay, I'll pay, I'm happy to pay a premium to get exposed to that level of experience because I know it's going to help me progress faster. But if you're being forced to pay this same amount for someone who's, I don't know, maybe they've just got their black belt, they've opened up their own uh, GB affiliation, mm-hmm. it's not the same. Yeah. Yet you're still holding them to the same standard. It, and like, Fair enough, you may get your belts from um, Braulio or his brother, whose name escapes me, Victor. Um, But, like, you'll get your belts from them, but then that's kind of it, unless you pay for a seminar with them. It's like, you're not getting the same level of service across the board. If if, If that was the case, fair enough. But you're not. And, like, pricing people out of just the clothes that they wear feels harsh Mm. but like all most gyms are doing it now like it's becoming more and more common like it's really it's a really tough one because i get what you're saying about the payments for gyms i would honestly and uh okay so when i (laughs) (laughs) so um I've always been helped out to a certain degree at GB Birmingham, like I was while I was there. Um, when I started, Rowley, I knew I wasn't in a good place, like financially and everything. And um, although it was still, yeah, you know, like um, 50, 60 quid a month. Yeah. Like that, you know, that is decent for unlimited classes under... Yeah. Braulio, Laura, Bradley was there at the time, Jacob, Arari, Raphael, all these incredible fighters and teachers, Dave and Stuart. And, but, you know, you got all this knowledge. 
that isn't a lot of money. Now, I, you know, obviously moving away, like I'm having to try and find different teams and the prices I'm being offered for, to learn off people, not as good, not as knowledgeable as these people Mm. and and more money. Mm. And I know I'm in a better financial situation now, um, but I don't know, it's not, I, I don't, I think it's a very expensive sport to take part in. It's mm. very expensive. And I am... Um, um, yeah, I think that... It, and I agree with you on the sense where you could go to GBs across the country, have a completely different instructor, but still be playing the same amount. Mm. Um, so sometimes your ba- your ability to improve is based on where you are situated. Mm. Um but at the same time, it's so expensive everywhere now in the UK and with Brexit and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. It's like you're in this situation where um, people are hiring out areas to host their gyms and everyone's expecting bigger, better academies, yeah. ones that match the US. And it's expensive. It is really expensive to run a gym. So... yeah. I don't blame the prices um with the equipment side of stuff it's a situation now where instead of gb europe being ran by stewart who were like a black belt under braulio who used to mm. buy in the equipment and get it printed and host it across europe which was a bit cheaper like he'd be able to do cheaper but the quality wasn't like amazing but it was a cheaper option instead now they've just gone with one like you know like brand so adidas now so adidas who should technically make our equipment cheaper because they're such a big brand they're able to yeah do all this like you know like it's the equipment should be cheaper no they won't lower the price so they're actually heightening it because it's adidas now Mm. it's not just gb europe zone and so why you don't have the answers to this (laughs) because and your business but like why would you choose uh like a brand like that if they're so inflexible why not just go to less stress though yeah because are you uh, the likes of Browley and Victor and all them like having to communicate with suppliers and do stock checks themselves, do all this, pay employees to do packages and send them out, do all like these are what Stuart and Leslie used to do. So Bradley Hill's um mum mm. and Laura's auntie mm. would sit there, send out all the deliveries, do the online stock take, get in hold of suppliers and do all that. That's a lot of stress and aggro and doing all the designs themselves and everything or do you take away that get a massive pro i'm i don't know this mm. but get a massive lump sum from the likes of adidas to be able to use the gb and get into the jiu-jitsu market mm. which let's be honest they will take over the gb market which they are going to create because there's a massive gracie Baja is massive like when you're forcing people to buy the kit to be able to do it there's a massive market that's guaranteed yeah 
And what will happen then is I'll get a nice reputation from myself using GB and then I'll leave GB. That's that's from a marketing business kind of view. That's how I feel it will probably go in the bigger picture so to get their name to out. Like, I don't know, Scramble or Tatami. Someone who's actually in the market already, they they have a better pricing um, structure. They understand the market. Like I, I can understand going to... I remember Stuart came in in a Tatami GB gear once. Um... And I think there was questions about it, but I don't think a small business like that could keep up with the European market of delivering right. that. Because I think Tatami's manufacturers, mm. um, wherever they are, like probably Pakistan, Pakistan. or wherever. They're in um, Pakistan. I know uh, they are. So They if... stopped me from printing geese. <laughs> oh, really? Wow. Um, I was looking at getting uh, some geese made. Mm-hmm. Um, well, my friend and I, uh, uh, we put a brand together, and um, we were told that we weren't allowed to use one of the uh, manufacturing companies, so we had to go to a different one because the Tommy have essentially said, if you print, if you like make gears for other companies, we'll go. Which is fair enough from a business point yeah, of view. Like of I get that, but their supplier mm. couldn't. Maintain the demand. Yeah, they would not be able to um, do that. And Tatami, I think in the end, was like going, um, this is all, this is years ago, I'm trying to remember. Um, (laughs) And I think they weren't able to, not facilitate, yeah, facilitate the quantity that would be required. Mm -hmm. But in doing so for them, I think when they brought a batch or whatever, the quality went down because they were trying to fulfil a load that they yeah, weren't able to get sense. the same amount of quality. And I think it would have been a smart move for Tatami to have... Invested. On, yeah, to invested, invest in it. But to invest, you have to have the money to start off with. And I think that's yeah. a big risk for a brand. Yeah, that's true. Because even I turn around to, um, like, um, Stuart at one point, and I was like, if you want, like, rash guards or leggings done right, um, because he was struggling to, like, get it sorted, I was like, let me know, and my supplier, I'll just tell him to add the badges to mm. these sort of things, or I can change the design as you wish um but this is yeah sort of the price that i'd want to be able to do that or um i'd take from each thing and i will look in you know i'll look into supplying um that and i think the question was then is also why why go through someone when you can go through them yourself but the issue is is i don't think people realize the struggle of the communication with suppliers um communication with suppliers and also um people don't know what they're talking about when it comes to materials yeah um when it comes to materials the stitching that's required um all these things people will try and it's just never ending a failure before they're able to yeah approve on something it's it's easy to go oh i can just buy i can just buy what this and get a logo on it but all my shapes 
that I've yeah created through sitting down with designers who know their stuff and paying them to like sit with me and design stuff and um everything. I've patterned you know their pattern so yeah. another brand can't come just along and just pattern. take my pattern of woman like woman stuff um yeah but I've seen the style used many a times and it's quite funny to see yeah um what's the same like because for me like I've had a vision of I know exactly what I want to make with geese mm. like I have spent years and years in geese I know geese inside out I know what would work for women um, but the cost of geese yeah. and there's not a big turnover with them Unless you put the price extortionate, mm. or you sell a lot. Well, this is the thing. Like, if you're going through a reseller, they want to make, um, like, at least uh, they want to make a hundred percent profit. Like, that's what <laughs> I experienced from it. And it's like, if you're buying the gee for uh, thirty-five pounds from the manufacturer, then the reseller wants like 35 to 50 for it and then your takeaway from it is very small mm-hmm. like by the time they sell it for like a hundred pounds it's um it's just it's just not worth it unless you're already an established company and like i can understand i think and then like you also have the minimum orders which is a another thing like you're not guaranteed to sell all of the stock and shit either like i've got yeah. a whole load of rash guards and fucking t-shirts and stuff left over from the fight like a girl competitions because i never i've never cared about having like things left over because i just wanted cool stuff to sell whilst um yeah. we ran the competitions but like i don't know it's it's a heavy investment and it's not always gonna pay off ideal mm. really this is definitely not the conversation i thought we were gonna have <laughs> we're talking about um just fucking uniform regulations and shit oh if you are someone that wears a pink gi get out <laughs> you can get out my gym what's wrong with a pink gi oh it's just it's just not what i want to see when i go <laughs> go on the mat nah like it's, it's all right like what about a pink belt? Have you seen those? They're like Chris Cyborg saying pink belt. I don't pink know. Pink belt. I don't know. Um, I just... It was, no, a, like... it was a school in the States. I think they introduced a pink belt for their uh, women's team. Which is a bit patronising. Mm. <laughs> no, like... <laughs> you just white, throw up in your white, mouth? White, blue, black, but... Purple. You're just gonna no. forget about that. Brown. No, no, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean geese. Um, white, blue, black. Navy, okay. grey. If green. it was, if it was up to me in my academy, I would only want white and black geese in there. Because I think like That's so racist. No, but blue geese <laughs> when they get washed out, they look fucking shit. She's pointing at my gear at the moment. That's not that's not too bad, that one, is it? But I just don't... I'm not a fan of blue geese. I, I brought one off eBay just to keep it. Like, black black and white, I just think are smart, classical colours. 
That's um, the prototype of the one that I had made. That's my that's my game. Ooh. I know, I know, feel it. Like there you go. Oh, it's sweaty at the moment. No. I'm joking. I'm trying to You fucking bitch. But no. I'm gonna try it on after. Do it, it's an A3. Um but yeah, I had like five, I think um I think I gave two of them away. I like um I actually gave one of them to Caroline at uh, RGA Bucks. She seemed to really like it. Mm. But, like I've always had um an aversion to wearing white geese. Like I don't like uh, you know the funniest thing that happened to me is um, as I'm I was on my period and I forgot and normally that's the only time I wear a blue gi so you'll know when I'm on my period because it's a blue gi <laughs> I'm blue um, and I completely forgot I was like oh I'm on my period like this and I was really heavy this day and I was like I'm still going to go but I was like I need to go but I'll just take it light and it wasn't until after the session I realised that I'd leaked through. But the great thing is, it was only a tiny bit, but the, the great thing is, is um, on the GB geese, they're white and red. So there's a red patch, like, in the crotch area. Um, so it wasn't visible at all. And um, I remember I was saying to Bradley, I was like, I really like this design. He was like, why? He was like, because when you're on your period you're fine and he was like for god's sake <laughs> I was like it's true though I was like it's it's great um so yeah anyone making geese out there that's keep a fun that story for, keep that in mind for the um <laughs> some of the women out there thanks for sharing that have a heavy flow and a wide set vagina <laughs> nice thanks for that you know, we all we all can bleed out sometimes. Yeah, like you know, stubbed our, stubbed my toe a couple of times at training, and you were bleeding at that women's open mat, weren't you? Yeah, that was fun. Everywhere out my toe, that was. Ugh. I was, it was. I was doing some like. I was pushing off, and my toe now just went. Whoosh. Yeah, it got did it get caught between two mats. Yeah, something like that. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I think I did the same thing to like one of my uh, fingernails, which just tells me that they were too long. Hmm. So I cut them bad boys down. I remember once I was um I must have been about fourteen, and I was um I had this competition. And I was really like um really going for it, and I, I come off the mat, and every single one of my fingernails was like bent halfway back you know like halfway down just bent back and yeah. folded and I actually had to pop them back down but I couldn't feel it at the time because my adrenaline was going and I also remember um, some <laughs> bitch was trying to break my guard but instead of like putting her hands in my torso she put her nails in and I remember I actually had like a circular like line of where her nails were twisting into my Really? Belly. Yeah, through through uh, back in the day, a Nike rash guard, you know, like a Nike Under Armour, because they just yeah. didn't. There was no, there was no martial brand. arts brands for like Nogi back in the day. That's intense. Mm. I don't have any cool stories like that. Like all of the fights I've had have been pretty cool. Like yeah, but I think when you're young, everything's like <laughs> oh, that's the thing. savage, aren't like... they? When they're young. Oh. It's childhood trauma. 
so I've I've just had my uh, I think it's four year anniversary of doing jujitsu. Really? Yeah. Um, so that means I started when I was like twenty nine. It's like literally the first sport I've ever done, like properly ever, and like what a one what a good one to choose. Yeah. <laughs> I've quite enjoyed it, <laughs> despite some of the comments that have been made. <laughs> but like, oh. it's um, people are morons. Yeah, we'll talk about that another time. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I don't know. When I started, I um, I just remember feeling engaged. Mm-hmm. Like, it wasn't something that I was expecting from uh, a martial art, if I'm honest. I always thought, like, growing up, watching fucking the nonsense films, like uh, Bloodsport, Best of the Best, Kickboxer, all of those things. Like, you have this, um, I don't know, skewed view of what martial arts actually entail. And... Mm -hmm. um, like the actual application and stuff but like also I will fight anybody who thinks that fucking Bloodsport isn't one of the greatest films of all time <laughs> like it so is aggressive. fantastic and everyone should watch it like it's coming on Netflix 1st yeah. of December yeah Ooh. yeah I'm gonna watch it then yeah every night <laughs> yeah I've literally just looked up when I started Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and it was the 1st of June 2016 shit son that's that's about the same you've been doing it less than I have yeah Fuck. 13, 18 like, <laughs> um, three, you go. <laughs> July, August September, October we're in November now aren't we yeah. I've done it three, and half three years. years, five months look at you go Three is five months. You're a fucking monster. Yeah, but I'd, it's, a, it's a really good point that I always like to say is when people ask me, like, oh, how long have you actually been doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu for? And you go, oh, yeah, I got my purple belt in, well, it would have been under three years. Yeah. Under, well, two and a bit years. Yeah. Um, but then That means to- bullshit. It's bullshit because it, that's not... It's not representative. I didn't start at the same level as Me. a white belt. Yeah, yeah. like as someone just coming off the street with no oh, yeah. experience. Like I've come in with two black belts. So, of course, I'm going to have progressed through the lower belts at a quicker standard because I've already got a basis there to help. Fuck yeah. Um, like, what most people don't take into account is, like, the white belt is... Like, the whole point of white belt is to figure out your body like how to move mm-hmm. like it's where you're introduced to all of the techniques and stuff but mostly you're learning about weight distribution you're learning about break falls and just uh being a safe training partner yeah it's not until you get to like uh the colored belts that you actually start learning jujitsu essentially yeah. that's at least that's my take on it like so, i don't know like um, I've had my blue belt two years now that I think about it, which is pretty cool. So this is what I'm, I'm literally just looking in. So I had, 
I went from white to blue within six months. Um, okay. But for me, because of my judo, yeah. I could have been given my blue belt as the second I stood on the mats because that's a legal thing, isn't it? Like, that if you've got... No, that's just in competition. Judo. Yeah. Like, but I, the sports re- are different. But I um, remember I said I want to be a white belt because there's so much you don't know in different sort sports. So, yeah. you know, I served my time... Is a blue belt. How long? So I got my purple belt. At In Christmas just gone. No, it was so Christmas just gone. you blue belt for like eighteen months. Um. Yeah. Wait. Is it about like two no. and a half years? Must have been. Yeah. White belt for six months. Blue belt for two and a half. Two years. years. No, it would have been two years. I was a blue belt for two years. And did you've been a purple the belt six, for six months though? Did you get your purple belt this March? No, I got it. No, I got it in December, at Christmas. Oh. So I got it at two years Christmas gathering. So two thousand sixteen, I got. No. Why is it? If I got it in December two thousand sixteen, yeah, I got it December just gone. So you got it in two thousand eighteen. Yeah, so that's two years. Yeah, so it t- I was. Six months at white belt, two years at blue belt, and then I've been... Purple belt for purple 11 belt. months. 11 months. Look at you go. I'm so proud. But I haven't really done much at purple belt, because... <laughs> You've had the mumps. <laughs> yeah, because of illness and... <laughs> fucking hell. Um, illness, injury, and many a job changes. So, like... When you... Like, at your level, at the, like, purple belt level and stuff, that's when, like, you get... Do you get people coming up to you asking you, like, a lot, oh, how long did it take you to do this? How long did, like, this take and stuff? Yeah. And it becomes really frustrating for me because I... Uh, What's your um, go-to response? You know, like, like, do you have a go-to response for people? Like, oh, just just take your time, enjoy the belts... Blah, 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 blah. Um, I'm always like I'm always like you can't rush it things will just happen when they happen like even when I was doing all my other sports and I never cared about my belt I just cared about being good like I remember when Japanese Jiu Jitsu I got um, told okay you're going to go for your black belt now because it's not in Japanese Jiu Jitsu you can't you don't get awarded you have yeah, to earn it. Um, so for my black belt, I had to. You got to run through the white, um, white, yellow, orange, green, blue, um, purple, brown, junior black, senior black, black syllabus. Um, do a speech, do your weaponry on top, and all of that syllabus. Shut up right now! What weaponry? <laughs> <laughs> All of the weapons. No, like, like knife attacks, everything. you got to run through all that, like some... I'm coming back to this. Continue with what you that. were saying. Um, but you have to run through all of that and you'll be on the mat with... Um, and you also have to coach a technique um, of your choosing to the instru- the judges, if that makes sense. Mm. And after all that, then you get 
awarded. It was one of the most gruelling days of my life. I think I was on the mat for like, I think it was like uh, just under 10 hours. Fuck. And it isn't, even though you have ran through it all, all day, like showing your white belt, showing this, like um, I remember they, they have like pretty much 45 minutes of self-defense and they lie you down on the floor on your own and then they surround you with six men Love it. and then they go if you six don't actually try and kill her or hesitate at all you won't get awarded Their your belt, belt. You, like whatever belt it is you won't get awarded it i want you to go and they'll whisper different things into their ears this is what you're going to go and do to sophie and like you're on your back and you're told you can't run you can't run, you can't do this, you have to... And it was one of the most grueling days of my life. And it was... I think it's awesome, that sort of stuff. Like, it tests your knowledge. Yeah. You, you're under pressure. You're trying to get everything done. Like, you're trying to... People are trying to stamp on your head. Mm. And it really switches you on to, like, how to really save your life. It's, yeah. like, old school and it's that. But I... N- when you know that you've got to do all that to get your belt, you don't want to get it. <laughs> you don't want to be put forward for it. Oh, no, I've got to really focus and train. Whereas my experiences with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, I don't agree with the whipping. No. I think it's a shit tradition, sorry. I think you're just being an arsehole. If someone's just got awarded something for their hard yeah. work and then you're going to punish them with whips don't like it what about the um the dickheads who fucking do those stupid body slams and shit oh have you seen that yeah that dude like the like inch thick mats and they're doing fucking power bombs on (laughs) to this like 14 year old kid it's insane like i do it's whatever but i don't agree that and i'm like choke out as well for no reason just yep stand collar choke the only thing that i actually would agree with in jiu-jitsu is something that they did at uh, the MMA Academy in Liverpool, which is where I started uh, mm. my jiu-jitsu journey. Um, it's an Iron Man, So you run through every person that turns up. You go from white to black. Yeah. And you just lit... And like it doesn't matter what belt you're going for. Like If you're getting your blue belt, you're going for everyone. If you're getting your black belt, you're going for fucking everyone. Mm. But like... Um, I remember, uh, who, someone's just done it because I saw the, the post, um, on their Facebook page the other day and it's like, like an hour, an hour and a half of just literally trying to survive like 30, 40 people coming at you with their best. (laughs) I'm like, I don't think it's a case where like, oh, if someone submits you, you don't get the belt. That would be pretty fucking harsh. <laughs> but like, no, like I, <laughs> I think it's shown like the passion to. But what I'm trying to say is, when you don't have to do that, and with Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, it's just kind of like you're gonna get it in a nice ceremony or at the end, and everyone's gonna be congratulating and that. It's a nice journey. It's a nice friendly one. It's not pressurized. Yeah. So why worry about when you get your belt? Just go with it. Just try it and keep your head down oh, yeah. and enjoy it. Um. But I always say no one... It's really annoying for me when people ask me about my journey and I see them thinking, oh, 
but I've been a white belt for three years and you've got your purple belt, what's wrong with me? And I see the head doing it yeah. and I'm like, you cannot think like that. Like, if... Don't... Every person. Don't put yourself against other people. Yeah. And it's so frustrating. Like, I remember when I got my purple belt, there was a couple of blokes who were blue belts who I could tell just didn't think that I deserved it. And I'm like... I don't care, to be honest. Like, you know... This is their issue, not yours. Like, for me, I never look... Like, I I, I remember when I was a blue belt and there was um, blue belts that I beat on a regular basis who got their purple belts, like, way before me. And for me, it's like, I don't care. Like, it doesn't even bother me because I will get my purple belt and it doesn't matter. Like, just like, I know... I will get my brown and black belt one day because that's what Happens. perseverance does. Like, yeah. you stick with something, you stay with it, you get it. That's my philosophy on martial arts. Mm. Like, just stay on the journey, just enjoy it and just see what happens. Mm. Also, like, there's a difference between someone who's training recreationally and someone who's training competitively mm-hmm. and like the conversations that I've heard some people have where they're like they see videos of like Andre Galvao and his team training for ADCC and they're like yeah that's what we should be doing we should be going like doing these hard rounds we should be doing this this and this like no you're looking at like top tier athletes yeah. And you're trying to cater your recreational training to that. Like, yeah. it's not the same. It's got to be split split up. So, um... You need to train the... So, the, the, this is a really good thing that <clears throat> I like what Braulio would do. Mm. Um, and I'll always refer to Braulio in the sense where everyone, everyone knows him. And to be fair, like, a couple of other classes... Like, I've been lucky to be under very good people so like when I was doing Japanese jiu-jitsu it was under Ross in Akaro which only the old school BJJ people would know everyone knows that he he invented grapple and strike he'd put on the MMA shows and um you know like Mark Goddard and a lot of that era of MMA fighters mm. trained under him or learned from him at one point or would go to his seminars and stuff he was like um cool you know really good and I was yeah. under him and I remember he had his in his classes he'd have his students and then he'd have his fighters yeah um and it was kind of like the fighters at the top who were competing who were just going to take it to another level but he'd always be like look i need you to come can you come here for a second like roll with this person or this person who's a beginner or do this and he was but when we were training it was like there's not anyone can become one of the competitors but you need to realize when you start competing you've got to step it up again Mm. and even sometimes we as fighters could turn around and go i'm not i just need a light session tonight and he'll be like okay like just join in with the students Mm. rather than the fight team um and this the same with braulio is when he would do it um he'd go Okay, you guy, who's got who's going to the Euros or who's going to the Worlds? This end, mm. and then everybody else that end. 
then he'd look, okay, Laura, who could look, who does Laura need to train with? Yeah. And he'd pick, you know, three, three to five. People. Yeah, three her to size, five people way. who will get the best out of her. Jacob, who does he need? Okay, blah, 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 blah. You're going to come here. And it was them working their ass off while we were able to rotate in and out like the f- an experienced three or four world of class us. Yeah. fighting. Yeah, and they would get absolutely mauled, but that's what they needed to be able to compete and mm. achieve at them levels. But he... I don't like the whole thing of... People that compete be made to look more superior than the people that don't because I don't believe that. Yeah. Um, but I, because I think it's at each and every journey you can go down it two ways. You can go down it from a not knowledgeable and mm. experienced kind of route, or you can go down the competition. I've achieved these titles and just very well executed. Because let's be honest, you can win fights with and mm. still fight shit so doesn't always like so medals don't mean knowledge in my point of view it just no. means that you're good at delivering Med- on the day yeah um, which is pretty much my yeah competition career essentially <laughs> right. I do good on the day that's but, literally it like I've always said like it's I, I always say I'm a better coach than I am fighter yeah. That's always been the case for me. Like, um, but I've competed since I was a kid, so sometimes I can switch my head on and do well in competition. Sometimes mm. I can't. Also, like, I may be wrong, but, like, personally, I believe, like, jiu-jitsu is something that, like, kind of has to rub off on you. Mm. Um, Like seeing and knowing a technique isn't enough you need to be able to uh comprehend and apply and like it's one of the things that drilling is supposed to do it's supposed to be able to it's supposed to be your way of um applying a technique over and over again getting your body used to the movement but um this is another thing that we were talking about earlier on like a technique for me is going to be completely different for you mm-hmm. because I'm 5'11, you're f- what, 5'6. Mm-hmm. I have long arms, your arms are shorter. Like everybody's body type is different, and the way that people apply individual techniques is going to be different all the time. So just having a an understanding of what a technique is doesn't necessarily mean that you know you understand that technique mm-hmm. like that comes with experience and uh, applied knowledge yeah like and it's it's literally the one thing that really sparked the joy of jiu-jitsu in me originally like um i've said it like a hundred times before on uh the other podcast but like i did thai boxing alongside jiu-jitsu first when I took it up and then like after about two weeks I was like I'm not doing that no more <laughs> fuck that I want to do jiu-jitsu like that's what was sparking joy in my mind mm. and it wasn't necessarily the fact that I was going home tired every day it was the fact that it's engaging and there's an almost endless amount to learn yeah like 
it goes without saying, like, you learn the most that's, at, at white belt. That's why I, um, I 100% agree with you, and that's why I believe, like, I saw um, an article about how Hodge Gracie doesn't drill. Mm. Um, he says, I don't drill, I just roll and, yeah, like, do stuff like positional that. Positional sparring. Yeah, positional yeah. sparring, specific sparring. I totally agree with that, because mm. I think as every time I've been a white belt in a sport, you have to drill to get moves into your head so that they go to positions or it becomes second nature for that yeah. movement. It's all um, about recognition. Yeah. And then I've noticed then as you develop, you're like, okay, but I need to be able to recognise that within sparring. Mm. That's where your specific sparring comes in. And like, so you're purposely trying to do the things that you've yeah. learned within a role in situation. So you're pretty much training your brain to identify the situations when it can be used and can be mm. implemented. Um, then obviously just rolling and sparring is about just bringing it all together, being put mm. in different situations, sort of developing your style and what you're good at and where, yeah. where's best for you. Um, I think that's actually something that's underappreciated in like jujitsu in general, where like, you are developing your game. Mm. Like, it's something that's very specific to you. So, like I said before, something that works for me isn't going to work for you. And, like... I've got to stop talking. Because I completely forgot where I was going to go. <laughs> no, I think... I mean, like, what I'm trying to get to is, like, mm. every time I've been a white belt, I'll drill stuff. Yeah. And then, as soon as I get to a higher belt, I realise I gain the most out of just specific sparring and sparring. Mm. And I, if I'm drilling stuff, like, it's like I even know the drill itself or it just doesn't flow naturally into the specific sparring. Mm. I'd rather someone say, show me something and then go, specific spa and try and do that or get to that position and i'm like okay it yeah. clicks in my head um but this is the thing like um the start of my blue belt progression um i got my blue belt and i was super excited about it and we switched to a new um format for our classes at total in bletchley um where previously we would just do like We'd do technique. We would uh, we do a couple of techniques. Then we'd do like specific sparring with our training partner, and then we'd go into uh, open sparring. Mm. Um, it must have been a little while, either before or after I got my blue belt, where we ch where uh, Stuart changed it up. So rather than just doing specific sparring with your uh, like partner for the class it moved to King of the Hill. So now you're, you're put on top and underneath in that position and you're sparring like consistently for, I think he runs the timer for about 10 minutes. So like people just queue up and you take on who's like free on the mat. And like, that's really good. And I didn't apply it properly initially because every time I'd go into the positional sparring, I would always revert back to what I know. 
and not try not actually apply what was being taught in the class yeah which completely defeats the purpose <laughs> of what we're trying to do and trying to achieve like um there is a moment that like your mind crosses over and it's like it's not a fight it's everything is training mm. so like it doesn't matter if you win or lose this one thing like what you're trying to do is take what you've learned and apply it which isn't easy and it's not supposed to be easy like you're supposed to be looking for the openings in order to apply what you've learned yeah but yeah i'm I, i'm better at recognizing those moments now but just thinking back to how ridiculous I was. <laughs> I think, like, um, it's like, so I've just had to look up because my mind went blank. Um, so when, obviously, I was doing judo, there was, like, different sessions. So you got yeah. kaihan, which is, like, beginners, and yukatas, which is, like, your drilling of moving. Yeah. Um and then your kumite, which is like your sparring and all that. I've probably pronounced them wrong. I can't trying to remember off the top of my head how. Um, um, Speaking of kumite, blood sport. It's <laughs> one of but, the greatest movies of all time. <laughs> um, so you different sessions, but I very rare like I'd go to judo sessions and I'd be surrounded by these Olympic judo athletes, and even they would hate the catters like just doing a throw over and over and over again just drilling it again and again and again mm. um but kumite they'd fucking love they'd be yeah. there like they'd love it they'd enjoy it and i think took the most from it um but i noticed as time went on they focus more on going to the gym and getting fit and their sparring than they ever did mm. their drilling of footwork and everything after a while because it's just should be second nature mm. hi 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 and died. hi hi <laughs> um so like now that you're a, a purple belt and you have all of this mm. experience and knowledge to feed on like has your mindset for like jujitsu switched from like techniques themselves to concepts or does that make sense um are you are you saying more like has it gone from learning a technique to actually a sequence of events is that no it's more about i don't know like general concepts of jiu-jitsu so like in january when i went to australia i met um a, an amazing woman called heather and she um was talking about uh, a few individual concepts that she tries to keep in mind when she's rolling and like you have things like the table concept where you have like four points of contact mm-hmm. and if you take away one of the legs of those tables that's where you want to move your oh, opponent yeah, and stuff like I get that. It, I get you. I now. was speaking to um, <laughs> Fionn a few weeks ago when we, she did the seminar in Scotland and she was talking about working with diagonals. She's like, mm. if you're, if you have uh, someone's shoulder and someone's hip pinned to the floor, then they can't do anything. Like you have, uh, like you're trying to attack points of contact that are 
uh, diagonally opposed because yeah. it means that they have an even more restricted uh, movement sense. Yeah. Just things like, like that. Um, you know, like one thing I always keep in mind is you can't skip steps. Yeah. You can't skip steps, but you can become quicker at getting through the steps. Hmm. Um, so, you know, if it, engage it and take down, pass the leg, secure position, um, grips, like submission, like all these yeah. steps. If they block at one point or in re-engage legs, you can't just skip to... You've got to go back through that sequence. If I've always said, like, um, you know, guard, like, if I am in someone's guard, I need to stay in line with them. Hmm. I have to stay in a complete and utter line because the second they start going off to the sides, I'm in danger zone. So I always have to stay central with them. So I kind of draw a line in their body where I stay in Hmm. line with them. And when I'm breaking the guard, I'm still remaining in line with their body um i'm trying not to allow them to so what you're saying is you disagree with the guard break where you put the knee in the butt and then you move your hips back and you go on diagonal on see because your body i'm always like when i first do that like when you're breaking because you've got that distance and you've got your arms in then you're in a safe yeah. safe element because you're not closed sorry yeah. if you're not closed in where they can triangle you arm yeah. bar and everything else as so soon as you've got distance. your posture and that yeah right. as soon as you're in that safe element so I always have like a vision of um, like you know red green red okay. so red I'm in danger green I'm in a positive position where I can start working. breaking and yeah. working and then I'm in red again if I'm giving a straight arm where they could arm <laughs> you know stuff where I'm too far away, too close in, or yeah. green. Whereas that could be different in a self-defense setting because we all know you're either greens as far away as possible <laughs> yeah. or as close in as possible. But in the red zone, you're in that strike. So there's different. I have different zones for different positions. So mm. say if I'm on the bottom and someone's in my guard, I don't. I want to break their balance. So that's where I'm looking at diagonals. That's where I'm looking at yeah. moving side to side i don't want to be stuck in straight on yeah yeah and i've got two so you're working against your um perception of their position yeah okay. and for me for the green changes so if the I was... green becomes red yeah <laughs> so for me like um if they've got a strong posture they're in a red zone i can't do anything because i need to either pull them in close which is my green zone or get up close to them which is another green zone i don't want them in that postured position where yeah. they can break my guard easily um this is where your mighty tree trunk legs come in <laughs> excuse me but, um but like stuff, an oak but stuff like that that's how i like to work in my head like i have my own little um sort of danger zones and mm. where I can do stuff where I can't do stuff. Um, yeah, I just... How do you handle, um, like, the the brain fart moments? Like, especially in competition. So, like, in... It's more prevalent at, mm-hmm. like, lower belts. Uh, you, you'll get to a position and then your mind just goes, take a short break. <laughs> yeah. Be back in ten. And it's like... 
you've worked so hard to get to this position, but then it's like a a, a dog chasing a car. It, like you don't know. In a in a brain fart moment, are you on about if you're in a dominant position or yeah, and then your mind just goes blank. I think it's for me because it's position before submission kind yeah. of thing. You're always um, working towards something. Um, if I'm if I've managed to get to a position and have a brain fart where I'm like, oh my god, what submission I could go for? Um, just securing that position and stalling and actually like looking. I'm looking at the different things. Okay, yeah. what? Okay, focus. Where work my way down or work my way up of what part? And that you just yeah. stay calm in that situation because you should be if you're in a position. For me, the worst is when you're in a shit position. And you have a brain fart. <laughs> so say if, um, you know... Someone gets someone, you into their side control. Yeah, side control. And you're like, oh my God. But there are ways of staying safe. So mm. you've got your safe positions then. So you know... Um, you know, if I do this, I'm going to be yeah. safe for however long. All I'm going to focus on is just remaining safe. Like if you have a brain fart on breaking the guard... Yeah. And you can't think how to do it... For me, it's like, I know, okay, posture, let's keep my hands together, elbows in, I'm just going to stay in yeah. line with my opponent until I can think of something. Like... Just wait for an opening. Yeah. Sometimes like, that's what it is. And I think that's that's a hard thing, because when you've done MMA or Japanese Jiu-Jitsu, if you stall for a second or can't think, you're just going to elbow the shit into someone's face, or, <laughs> um, you know, heel kick the back of the thighs, or... Stuff and so for some reason something will open because obviously no one likes getting hit. Um, in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, you don't have that, mm. so you either have to, you know, you have to really have a quick thinking on you, and you don't really have time for brain farts, yeah. which I kind of like because it forces forces you a little bit to work mentally. Um, but yeah, I think for every position, work out your safe. Yeah. Your safe space. And if anything, and if I think what people forget in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu is if shit hits the fan, try and stand up. Like, oh my God. I don't, I, it's so underrated, like that whole movement. And it's like, yeah, like if she's scrambling, like try and stand up, try and get out of the matted area. Like, I've seen people do it, and it's a very good way of doing it i remember when braulio showed us something once and he was like going just scramble and it was like um sometimes i because i'm so into bjj and that i forget that i've got a whole judo background and you know in a good wrestling style so i remember i was sparring with some black belt once at gb and he turned around to me and was like you could have just got up and done this then and i was like oh yeah but because i was focusing on bjj i wasn't thinking about the other elements I have. Um. I had the exact same moment with uh, Chelsea Lee when she came to uh, Total. I rolled with her and it was like, I just had this moment where I was like, you have to go forward. You have to go forward. And she, at the end of the roll, she was just like, you know, you're allowed to like stand up, right? You're allowed to move back. You're allowed to like, go out so you can come back in and things like Mm. this and like ever since she pointed it out I was like oh yeah and like it's something that I do a lot like I always um 
disengage to come around on um like i'd much rather try to pass someone's open guard than try to get through their close mm-hmm. guard um but like honestly it that piece of advice has been one of the ones that's served me the best and yeah. also like the only other piece of advice that i've really received from someone who isn't my instructor would probably be from uh helen curry mm-hmm. uh in my podcast i did with her she was talking about um helen curry off the top of my head is... she's the first female black belt in the uk yes yeah and i recognize the name then and i was like i couldn't put a face to the name yeah um she basically said to me if it's got a name uh it's going to be difficult to pass so you're looking to um, attack the transition. Like, that's something that's always stuck with me. Like, mm-hmm. uh, like if you're in someone's closed guard, you're going to be the one who's doing all the work to try and open their legs and stuff. But if they're starting to try and sweep you and they go into that transitional period, that's when everything opens up and becomes, like, ten times easier. Like, yeah. it's not going to be super easy, but that's your moment to attack like uh the transition yeah and like those two pieces of advice have held me in such great stead over the past like two years oh great you're never you know if i'm stuck in a submission Mm. you'll always wait i'll always wait for their adjustment or Mm. their like little transition to do my escape i'm never gonna fight against the initial the initial tension yeah sometimes if you you know like sometimes and i think this is a really good thing is when you're um fighting high about so like laura mm. when i spar with laura i know things are coming and i you just can't stop them when you um fight braulio you know <laughs> things are about to happen and you just can't stop them because they're that yeah. good um, so for me, sometimes I'm like, I know it's about to happen, so I'll prepare myself for it and I will escape mm. after the initial After try. the initial try. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. Um, but because when someone gets hold of, let's say, a triangle for the, f- the yeah. first time on you, it's at that initial second where, the, you know, we're all taught grab it quickly, like, ah, pull it in or lock off quickly. And then it's after them where we're like, okay, well, <laughs> sort of no. adjust it or adjust it to get the tap. Yeah. But it's in them adjustments where, you know, if you can't see it in straight away and stop it from happening yeah. and you know it's about to come, then just bring yeah. it out. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, if I'm honest, like... I'm taking a risk in doing it, but like I've been um, just waiting for submission. So it's like if someone's got me in a choke and I'm not like blacking out like almost immediately, I literally just like I try and uh, get a grip in against the arm or something or whatever's attacking mm-hmm. and just try to breathe for a moment and just figure out what's actually being attacked. Yeah. So like there have been a couple of chokes that people have got on me where they've got like a really tight choke on one side but like the other side's open and they're like why aren't you tapping why aren't you tapping it's like you haven't closed off the other side and i'm mm. not going to tap unless you've done it properly like it 
it sounds it can like be like a, a bit of a dick thing to do but at the same time I want to make sure that my training partners know what it feels like to get it get it yeah not just oh this is going through the motions of getting it if that makes sense mm-hmm. no, good. totally good <laughs> so it should good yeah but it's like either I think you've got stuff to learn from everyone like I remember when um, you watched me Mm. roll and you picked up on something on my game where it's like I wasn't um, Mm. locking a leg off that I could have locked off to be able to make my life a little bit easier and you showed it me and I was like oh yeah bloody hell that's so simple and I (laughs) haven't even thought to do that because you're so used to doing it the hard way yeah sometimes it's like oh yeah like little adjustments really make a massive difference like jiu-jitsu truly is a game of inches it's mm. what I, it's what i enjoy about it it's super fun but like i don't know it's um i completely agree with the statement you have something to learn from everyone like um i spent most of uh my white belt like fighting to be on top and uh especially the competition career like it's always a race to race to the ground so I always wanted to make sure that I was on top I was uh passing their guard going to mount or something um I was never on the bottom and I was never put under pressure uh really on the bottom so when I got to blue belt I um I was like I can't be shit on the bottom I need to get better Mm -hmm. so now like that's literally my starting position when I spar all the time like I will as much as I hate to admit it even when like I roll with smaller people I pull guard and I go on to the to the bottom because I need to get better there and like seeing how white belts react to your movements when you're going against what they see as the grain is quite interesting and then also experiencing how your body reacts when they do something unexpected so like that's how your game evolves how you learn what your body's going through and like what your body wants to do like I think that's kind of in reference to like this you have to excuse my pretension because it's coming. <laughs> I know this whole podcast has pretty much been it, but like the state of flow mm-hmm. where you're, <clears throat> you kind of just go blank and just react. Like it's quite possibly uh, the best thing about jujitsu yeah. in my point of view. Like as someone who suffers quite severely with like depression and anxiety, mm-hmm. having something that allows you to access a state of being in the moment and being present is more beneficial. This is um, it's quite interesting you say that because at uni um, I did sports psychology as mm. part of my modules and that, and um, one part of it was on about reaching flow. Mm. Um, and how hard it is to achieve if you're not doing the right things to put your mind into that yeah. area. And um, I was under a fantastic sports psychologist who's like world-renowned called James Beale. And 
Any relation he... to Ian? <laughs> <laughs> no, but, um, and he like went through it so much and the actual scientific way of getting into it is you need a level of anxiety but not too much anxiety mm. so to reach competitive flow which is like just where you're doing things without thinking um everything has to your anxiety levels have to be right and so what you're saying is i'm the perfect level <laughs> of anxious <laughs> so, so like people it's it's weird because um some people need have to have no anxiety whatsoever to be able to reach flow mm. Some people need a tiny bit. Some people need quite a bit. Mm. And too little or too much, you're never going to reach yeah. that flow. Um, and that's why people say it's good to be anxious because it means something to you. Yeah. Like competition. Like yeah. There's that like saying. Um, yeah. It's like my anxiety is what I credited uh, my success at competition. <laughs> like... I was always, like, when I go to competitions, I'm always comfortable with being uncomfortable there because I spent so much of my life being uncomfortable. Mm. Like, I get anxious at uh, train stations. I get anxious in just uh, crowds of people. Like, that's something that really uh, flares up my anxiety. So going into a jiu-jitsu match where my anxiety is probably at, like, a four... Uh, compared to being at a crowded tube terminal <laughs> at rush hour, which is like an eight or nine, um, that's manageable. And I can just literally go, I, c- I can put it into perspective a bit more. Like, I'm still nervous about the fight, but at the same time, not to the point where it's hindering my performance. Yeah. No, I agree. And um, I think the weirdest thing for me is... I can sometimes be anxious about going to training. Yeah. And different things like that. I think it just changes um, as time goes on because my anxiety levels are about um, performing, like mm. and not letting myself down, or um, like I, like I said earlier, big a big thing for me, um, like and a big issue for me is like I've always sort of um valued myself on my achievements yeah if i'm not and an issue for me is if i'm not achieving i don't feel like i'm doing well i don't feel like i'm doing good like if i'm in a bit if i'm not aiming towards something i'm Mm. i I just i don't feel like i'm doing the right thing so that's why if i'm yeah if i I get anxious, although I can walk away from a competition and lose and yeah. that. If, I, if I've if i performed shitty, that bothers me and I get anxious about that. Because I'm like, oh, I need to make sure, um, you know, I perform or put something in or I do something. And that's the thing, like, if I'm going and training at somewhere where it's new or I don't know people. And that's why sometimes I hate being having this knowledge and experience from many different martial arts or you know being a purple belt at times and you go to different gyms because people look at you or they want to beat you or they want yeah to like and that makes it does make me anxious then to go there because i'm like oh like uh what if i'm what if i'm not as good as 
I should be, yeah, yeah. Or what if I'm, you know, this is it. But that's why. Uh, that's one of the things about yeah. jujitsu. Like everybody, every gym has their own standard for what each belt is, and like, I think you could probably be pretty safe, um, in the knowledge that even at a purple belt level you're going to be able to hang with their purple belt. Mm. Like, it's... And that largely comes from the uh, academy that you got your purple belt under. Like, Braulio and uh, the GB team aren't going to be promoting people that take their name to competitions, that take, like, his name and gym to, like, other places. It's not going to want you to underperform at other people's gyms. Like, that's one of the reasons why like some people get held back more so they can like maybe achieve more at competition or they feel like um the instructor wants to know for sure that you're going to be able to hang at that belt Mm -hmm. like it might be a case of some people get their purple belt when at another gym they'd be like probably mid to high purple and on the way to brown like it's the same with like blue belts. Some people want people to experience white belt a bit more before they go for blue belts and stuff. Like mm-hmm. there's no, there's no one concept of what each of the belts is. It's more about how that person applies the jujitsu that they know. Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense, I'm confusing myself with my own words. No, I like I get the I get the same thing like going uh i travel a considerable amount i've been all over the place to train jiu-jitsu and like going to a new gym is like quite uh intimidating because you don't know you don't know anything uh if, if you don't know anyone there and you're literally going to train in a new environment like you don't know the level of their belt and like you feel like this pressure to go in and say I'm a Braulio Esteema purple belt I have to I have to go in and I have to show them what I can Mm. do and you kind of step away from the reason that you want to go train in the first place which is enjoy yourself and to learn like the there's a burden that comes with your lineage at least in my opinion Mm. um but like now I'm very fortunate in that I've done it so much that I just I get to go to these places and just train. <laughs> it's fun. <laughs> yeah. Like um Yeah. Like the the gyms in the north are great, gyms in the south are great, gyms <laughs> in the Midlands are alright, I guess. <laughs> well, I found. <laughs> They just all lie. I'm going to sweep you now. Bloody hell, Jiu-Jitsu. <laughs> Jiu-Jitsu. Oh, what's his name? I was, um... Like, when I first moved to Milton Keynes and I got involved in, uh... I got involved with, um... Total Dojo. Um... Like, me and Haley. We, uh... We hit it off pretty well, initially, and like we went to uh, like a a camp over a weekend up in um, 
not Chichester, I think it might have been Chester. It's like a, a big hall. And they had um, Lovato, um, Dan Strauss, uh, Braulio was there, and someone else. And on the way up, Hayley was like, oh, Lovato. All she remembers from him was someone <laughs> shouting at one of the competitions, Lovato! <laughs> oh, Lord! <laughs> um, in a really thick, brummy accent, which is dope. And that made me happy on that little tour <laughs> up north. We got stuck in traffic and missed half of his seminar. Ooh. It sucked. But the stuff that he did show us was Should've awesome. Should have left earlier. Uh, we left pretty fucking early. <laughs> I know, I know. Inconsiderate people getting killed on a motorway. How fucking... How, how, how dare how they? How dare they? Bastards. As a firefighter, I can <laughs> <laughs> Does it piss you off when people take up the uh, hard shoulder when there's a big X on those smart motorways oh, that help don't. everyone? Don't even get me started <laughs> on that. I could rant about that for hours. Well, we've already done like an hour and 45, so you haven't oh, got much hello. time. <laughs> <laughs> if you've made it this far, you're one of the lucky ones. Because now you get to find out my <laughs> profile details on Pornhub. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking, I don't. But do you have sugardaddy.com? I'm joking. Really? Imagine. <laughs> Imagine me doing that. Just men that would just get savaged on there. As a feminist, As I a really feminist. disagree with what you're doing. Oh my god. I'm on um I'm on a dating app at the moment and like it's a never ending stream of penises. Which one? Like the um Tinder and Grinder. Oh, I know. Guess which Ooh. one's shit. Both. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm on Tinder and Bumble. Yeah, but like Grinder is literally just uh, people sending pictures of penises and question marks. That's fun. Mm. Um, they don't appreciate it when you send like laughing emojis back at them. Really? No, no. Actually, like someone sent me a picture of their penis yesterday, and it was. The most disgusting thing I've ever seen. Like You know what I don't like about Bumble? Is it really forces you to like talk to people. Um it's like you've got twenty four hours to respond. <laughs> what you're like, um Really? I am shit at responding anyway, don't make my life. Um and then the thing about Tinder is I've got quite a few matches, but I don't like talking. So I generally just don't really speak to me. I just think it's all ridiculous, really. Like, I'd rather go on a night out and meet someone, become friends with them and talk to them, but that's never going to happen because my life is too busy. So when I do get the chance to go out, I'm either completely not myself and dr- like drank myself into... A stupor. A, literally the devil. Um, I like to refer to my drunk self as Courtney Love. Um, when I'm about to hit that level of inappropriateness, I just like to look at my friends and go, da-da, da-da, da-da. And they're just like, oh, God, she's going to go crazy. 
Um, so that's not an appropriate time to meet someone. And I don't like talking to strangers when I actually get the chance to go out with my friends or like being present with my mm. friends. So, yeah. Um, I've got no idea how it works anymore. Like, I've never... Like, I've, I've always struggled with my uh, image of myself. So mm. I get really defensive when people show an interest in me. I'm like... Mm. Um, I don't know, it's weird. I always question... What their intentions are. Not even that. It's more a case of, like, why? Why do you like me? I'm fucking... I'm a ridiculous person. I'm this, this, and this. And, like, I talk myself out of stupid things. But, like, um, it's not really until I get to know someone that um, I can actually accept the things that they tell me. Mm. And, like pretty much every relationship I've ever had has always started off as a, a friendship first and then moved further. Because, like, I have... Um, I don't know. It's weird. Like, I, I describe my my sexuality personally as, like, pan. And, like, I'm not really attracted to people physically. I like being mentally engaged. Yeah. So if someone talks to me and we get on like that's when I start to feel attraction it's not like people can look nice and that's all good but it's manufactured in my eyes it's like it's not the same as actually having uh, a connection with someone which is what I actually enjoy Mm -hmm. but um it's very difficult to have meaningful connections with people when you hide away in your room every night <laughs> don't I really think, do anything I think it's funny though nowadays is because and I'm I'm literally just I'm saying this because I remember when I used to date when there was no social media really yeah. there was just um, you just had a brick Nokia phone and <laughs> there was no social media or anything and you had no expectations of a relationship it was just um, it was just like you just do your thing you couldn't check up on your partner mm. and you made more effort to communicate because yeah. of that because it's not like if you meet someone now and you go oh, I'm going on a night out with my mates cool your partner can keep tracks of you on social media so mm. instead of there being like that text like oh how's your night going and you'd be like oh, I am yeah. Like, like I'm having a good time just dancing away it's like there's not even that there's just people watching like partners watching you stories or your mate's stories and then being like oh my god she's drunk what's right. she got like oh like and then making up situations in their head rather than mm. like speaking and I think as well like when you had to rely more on trust back in the day whereas yeah. now you've got all these things to check up on each other and social media. And I think people's expectations of what they expect from a relationship has gone up because of all this falseness on social media. And I think that's just a shame because, um, you know, I believe in just you make a connection and it happens. I think, and I, I honestly have to say is every partner I've been with, I've never expected them to be, the person I would be with. Yeah. I've never went that it's just sort of evolved and happened. Yeah. And then 
So you've never actively yeah, pursued the relationship. It's always uh, it's just, developed organically. Yeah. And I think this is the annoying thing now. It's like, why have all them relationships fell apart? And it was because of expectations. Mm. And I remember I was with, you know, my first partner for six years. And it was all of expectations of what should happen, how we should be treating each other. And it was like, well, we were just growing apart because we were getting older Mm. and developing and we wanted our own journey. And then, you know, I met met someone there like and it was like, actually, my first time realising what modern dating was like. And then that we weren't even together. We didn't, it was just a partnership for like, yeah, just, you know, about just under a year. And that was quite rebuilding after a six year Mm. long relationship. And then, you know, I met my previous partner and that was like my first experience of an intense relationship. And some people will look at my, relationships and go how are you how were you more hurt from a relationship that lasted less than a year to the breakup of your six-year one Mm. where your lives were very intertwined and it was hard and I have to think to myself well when you were together that long you knew each other that bit more it's like you've got a journey and we reached the end and you've you saw the end come in. Whereas when it was an intense one, like, and it was less than you, but it was an intense, we were grown ups. Everything Mm. was part, like everything, like, you know, you have your ups and downs, but because you're that much older, you you expect more from it. Um, It's these false expectations. So you get burnt that little bit more, you know, you get burnt that little bit more when it ends because because you expect more. Yeah. And it, you know, I think it's that little bit harder. Um, and then, obviously, you know, seeing seeing someone recently and then there being expectations of how their life should be and how my life should be and what should happen. Sometimes them expectations stop you from actually just living yeah. and just going with it and... I think that's the annoying thing, especially that I've noticed, is I think it's probably my own fault because I tend to, you know, like my past record of girlfriends is probably being, or people I've saw or been with have been more Mm. um, bisexual or straight, like, than, like, openly, (laughs) like, gay. And so I've got that thing where a lot of them have expected, you know, their lives to be with men and to have kids with men. Yeah. So when they... Find themselves with you, with me, it's a bit... It's, they've got a lot of inner turmoil that yeah. they're having to deal with and, you know, that never serves right for me because I'm always going to be left even though if I had a dick... It'd be perfect. It'd be perfect and... We'd have a perfect life, and that for me is weird mm. because it shouldn't. Matter. I suppose for me, I it's easy for me to say because I've never seen my life with a man, mm. or 
I've always known and I've had to go through the thoughts of never possibly having a biological child. Yeah. And I've had to deal with that. But when I suppose that's all you've fought your life being or having, it's hard to get your head around the fact that that might not happen. But I don't see it as an issue. I would adopt a kid and it would be my kid. Yeah. And I could have a kid via a sperm donor and it would be my kid and and my partners there's no um and I think it must be beautiful it must and don't get me wrong like if I really thought deeply into it it must be beautiful to have a fucking to make a child with that person that yeah you love and adore and that is going to be something that I'll never I'll never have a mini me of me and the person that I love, but in the words of Justin Bieber, my point of view, <laughs> never say never. <laughs> but my point of view as well is that's the thing: is it nature versus nurture? If mm. you were both nurturing that kid, that kid will be yours. Yeah, it be ours and be like that. Mm. Like I am, um, I'm in a weird place when it comes to like relationships and uh how i handle certain things like um i was married to my partner for i think it was like 3 or 4 years we had a relationship for about 6 years um but like our uh relationship dissolved at the height of our affection for one another so mm. like uh, we didn't have this uh, slow de- uh, devolution of our relationship where everything went to shit, like, at the end. So, like, my expectations for relationships on uh, for the next one would have been considerably lower. Um, we ended our relationship where we were still very much in love, but we very much understood that we couldn't be together anymore. So that's how that came to an end. And now I struggle with the idea of getting into another relationship because it's difficult to find something that would compare to that mm-hmm. completely disregarding the, uh, the knowledge that I have that it took six years to get to that point mm-hmm. in our relationship where we were that comfortable around each other. We knew everything about each other and we had a very comfortable life together. Um, everything that we had had to be built and, that's something that I I do struggle with. And, like, I've only had one serious-ish relationship since uh, the start of my transition. Um, and that was with uh, a girl called Robin, who I'm still very close with. Um, we just understood that our relationship wasn't actually a relationship. It was more of a friendship because we both had... Um, we have issues with our, our bodies and uh, showing affection and just weird things to do with intimacy that um, we both understood would mean that we could never really be together together. But we both share a, a love for like writing, for talking to each other, for like being in each other's lives. So we're both still very much good mm-hmm. friends. But, like, there's never really been any of the romantic element. That's the bit that I struggle with 
uh, personally. And like dating apps and all of that are all well and good, but like they can't offer me anything that I want. Yeah, they're just a surface level of confidence and a boost or like mm. you know that attention sort of thing. It's like you know when you walk in a bar and people look at you. It's that's what yeah that's what social media really like dating sites are really like it's hard to it's just rubbing Mm. your ego a little bit that's how i kind of see it that's how Mm. um most of the time that you know it that's all it does like a bit like oh that person is actually attracted to me that's cool that kind of thing um (laughs) i think and then they meet me realize how boring i am and then like oh no (laughs) is this really all you do um Okay, so I think that the, there's positives and negatives you can take from every relationship, and I think you're never. And I think I think this is the thing. There's not. There's no such thing as a perfect relationship. I think I, I've been in every relationship I could be in. I could possibly miss some form of how a difference. There's a bit yeah. like you know. Um, I could miss some form of like a previous relationship or I could um, hate some form of the relationship that I'm in, which I never experienced in another one because I don't think relationships can be compared. I just don't think that they can because there's positives and negatives in all. There's just some, and sometimes like um, this is what I've seen and realised is that people actually go for the same kind of people or are attracted to the same kind of people because it's what they know, it's what mm. they're comfortable with. But what they're trying to do is go for the positives yeah. sides of people and then eliminate, find people with the negatives eliminated mm. um, from there. So people are actually searching for the perfect person but actually searching for what are all their negatives um and can i manage with them um i think the hardest thing for me leaving cutting all contact with the girl i was with for six years Mm. um for me was the one thing she gave me which i don't think anyone ever has since chlamydia (laughs) No, that's a regular occurrence. <laughs> <laughs> Joker. I've never had chlamydia. I'd just like to stay. Not yet. Um, Hepatitis. Lesbians can't get stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> You've already told me that um, you're bi. Yeah, well, Jacob. you are attracted to bi people. And I'm attracted to bi carriers. people. Yeah, oh, the dirty sods. Can't make up their minds, can they? And this is all jokes. That's they're, they're jokes, by the way. I'm not biphobic. I just say that because obviously that's your, your stereotypical biphobic person would say ridiculously Um, i am transphobic so (laughs) (laughs) um but no like she gave me security yeah in all honesty like she was someone who made you feel safe mm, not safe not secure because she i never envisioned a life where she wouldn't be there right um and I think if I didn't cut the contact, which was needed, and I think was needed for both of us, if I didn't do that, I wouldn't have been able to have moved forward in relationships. I wouldn't mm. ever have been able to have um, moved on and like this. But 
one thing is i i honestly felt like we'd been through thick and thin and we'd still be there for one another and there was something where there was a time in my life where i truly thought whatever happens even if i if this girl treated me like the shittest person in the world i'd still be there for her if i treated her like the shittest person in the world she'd still be there for me there was that level of commitment there yeah but it wasn't healthy so i had to walk away in the end and that's that's fine and that but that was the hardest thing to walk away from is walking away from someone who was your security blanket to a certain degree yeah we were each other's security blankets that was the hardest thing um have you spoken since like at all no like uh, um there's was there's a couple of things sent um on another a lot of me seeing her watch everything Mm. through her business account off mine and then uh, i think she like she hadn't for a while and i was like oh that's weird because normally she's like on it and then everything uh, like everything has just been blocked then because i was like oh i wonder what Mm. she like where she is like she's not popping up she blocked me i think maybe a girlfriend saw that she was doing it or whatever which is fair and understandable um but yeah i think that was the hardest thing and i think then because i was when i plucked up the courage to cut all contact with her i was in a relationship at the time when that relationship fell through i think it was I think it was like hard to sort of accept that for the first time ever there was no one. Yeah. There was no like there was no one there as a security <clears throat> blanket and that was a weird feeling for me. Um there was no one there to talk to all the time. There was no one there to like text religiously. Yeah. And um Yeah, it was just a learning a new norm for me. Yeah. Um, and I think that was the hardest... Like, I think that's the hardest thing of going over for, over something. And I think everyone's scared to a certain degree to be solely alone nowadays. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because I think that's why you end up with so many short-term relationships. Because mm. people... And I'll say this honestly, I think people like the thought of me. Um, but you're a unicorn. But, but they want me around until they find something more suiting. Yeah. And that to me is like, I Just... think this is where I'm in that stage of my life now where it's like, I don't want that. I don't want to be someone's six months where they show me six months of like intense interest and I'm seeing further down the line or mm. where and giving them that and then them go okay like i've found the male version of you yeah. that can give me a kid and that's great and stuff like that that's where it comes through now where i'm in this stage where I'd, it's crushing I, I wonder whether i can trust someone on a date and you know and people and i sometimes i actually think to myself no wonder there's like them sayings where lesbians go 
don't ever go near a boy person mm. because they will always leave you for a man. And loads of bi people then go, oh, that's biphobic, that's biphobic. But it's like... It's your experience. I, I know what is experience and I never allow things to um, go forward into new relationships. So I'll never take... Start from scratch. Yeah, I'll never take those sort of thoughts of being let down by people into new relationships but there is that thing where it does scare me all the time because i'm not someone that likes flings and i'm not i've never been like fuck me if i wanted to sleep around i could fucking sleep around but i've never have and never will Mm. but what annoys me is when i give my all to like you know when i do open up and i give my all to someone i am not just going to work through six months i'm going to work through a lifetime with you if that's what you want like Mm. Um, and I think people find that intense nowadays, whereas I'm like, no, that's just old school. If, if we're going to do this or if we like yeah. each other enough after the months of dating just... to commit to a relationship, then my old school way is if you commit into a relationship, you're, you're committed then and we're going to work towards the future unless something happens where we can't resolve it, then that's that then. Yeah. That's the end, but... Don't know. Yeah, that's, I don't know. Like, um, the re- the relationship you had that was a uh, for six years. Like, I don't know about you, but the the thing that hurts the most for me uh, with my ex wife is even now when something good happens in my life she's the first person I want to tell Mm. but we don't speak at all Mm -hmm. and like that's something that really uh triggers my depression like quite a lot because like I've had a lot of good things happen to me recently I'm a relatively successful person and it's like what's there I do have this resounding feeling in my mind of like what's the point if there's no one to share it with it's like mm. i can accomplish as much as i want but then if i'm coming home to an empty flat at the end of the day it's like yeah like what's the point mm. like even just to tell someone it's like i did this today and then them them get excited with me even though like they may not fully understand it that's kind of all i've ever wanted from a relationship yeah <laughs> I always say, look, um, I always love this thing where it's like, we're all sailing on a ship, but why not sail alongside? Mm. Like, we all have our own ship sailing, but let's sail alongside each other and keep each other company. And um, there's actually a quote I saw today which I really loved, and I just thought it was a super nice cute coat and it was like um love will not save you but it will hold your hand while you save yourself and in a whole um in a world that sometimes seems um devoid of goodness in a world that sometimes feels too heavy to bear i think that it um i think that is all we are really searching for someone by our side someone who grounds us someone who will quickly hug us for 20 minutes straight while we figure it all out i think that is 
all anyone really needs someone who sees them someone who stays and i that's a really long quote yeah and i did not perform it quickly <laughs> but um i just thought it was um well a nice statement let's say is that you know love sometimes is just mm. not to say anything it's not yeah. to do anything it's not to save anyone it's just literally just to be there mm-hmm. and just to stay um like, that's literally what my relationship was like with my wife it's literally just going home at the end of the day being around each other mm-hmm. and just enjoying it anyway this got really deep <laughs> for All no the reason deepness. oh my legs <laughs> need to go on a walk and need to have some food as well tell me about it um let's call it quits there um let me just hey if you made it this far <laughs> congratulations two hours you know where minutes. to find us tinder grinder bumble <laughs> Yeah, if you could just send me all the dick pics and I will send you an, an honest assessment of what I see. <laughs> and if you could not send me any dick pics, <laughs> I would like that. Um, so yeah, thank you very much for listening. And uh, yeah, maybe we'll do it again sometime. Hey, it's us at Roleplay. Bye. Okay, bye. 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 Love you, bye-bye. Love you, bye. Bye-bye. No, bye. you put the phone down.